Welcome to the captain's table and our special off the record show where we talk about all areas of Star Trek, not just the novels and comics. My name's Michael and with me as always is Roz. Hi Roz. Hi Michael, good to be here today chatting off the record. Oh, it's great and um, yeah, it's it's just really good. I was just thinking then, I was giggling to myself in my head because as I was doing the introduction, I always um, concentrate on those and I almost called you Dominique then and it's like, hi Dominique, welcome to the show. And, and for the listeners, uh, Dominique, someone I work with. And um, it's just really how that played in my head. I was thinking, where did that come from? It's <laughs> because <laughs> you've worked like, what, eight days in a row this week? <laughs> yeah. You're still in work mode. You need to get back into podcast mode. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, oh, we've got a new cast member. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So as, as I mentioned in, in the intro roles, we're, we're not going to talk about books or comics today. Um, we're going to be looking at the first season of Star Trek Picard. Yes, and uh, excited to chat about this. Um, much as we we love the the books and the comics, we are all round Star Trek fans, and so it's nice to be able to have a bit of a blether about the TV shows for a while because uh, the TV shows is where we where it all started. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We always concentrate on the books, and and we have spoken about um, two Star Trek uh, Picard novels, but no, it'd be nice to just talk about the show. Yeah, definitely. And because uh, the season one is complete now, we can talk about the full story um, rather than just you know episode by episode. So because we now we now we know the whole the whole thing, the whole shebang. We have the answers <laughs> to yeah. all the questions that came up through the season, um, to which there were many. So yeah, looking forward to it. And for the listeners, hopefully everyone's seen the first season, so Roz and I will be talking potential spoilers, but the show is over a year old now, so I think we're slightly off the hook there. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if these are spoilers to you, then shame, go and watch yeah. it. What's <laughs> taking you so long? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> So I think the very first thing I put at the top of my notes when I was preparing was, this isn't TNG. Oh God, no, no. And I think I think probably uh, a good a good place to start is what you potentially expected from the show when you heard that they were making a Star Trek Picard show. Because I I wasn't I was excited that they were doing Picard. Obviously thrilled that we were going to be getting more Patrick Stewart in his iconic role. Um, but when they stated very clearly, this is not the Jean Luc Picard that you knew. I got a bit concerned. <laughs> I will admit, I got a bit concerned, um, and maybe even through the first the pilot, I was a bit concerned because it's such a different tone than we were used to with Picard and from TNG, even from the movies, uh, which were you know potentially a bit more actiony all round. But um, it was, it, I think, it really grew into itself over the first season so I don't know what were your expectations like did it was were you imagining something along those lines or was it totally out of left field for you oh no it it was totally um totally off-putting in the sense I didn't have a clue um we all as you say all, all we were told was it's not TNG and um you just wonder what what can it be and 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 again over the years Patrick Stewart has always said he's not going to return to Star Trek he doesn't want to return to Star Trek and then when when he decided he would and suddenly he started 
tidbits telling us why he's coming back and the fact that it is totally different and and um it's where his character hasn't gone before boom boom <laughs> and um it, it, you know it there was alarm bells in the sense that how far are you going to push this because and i think you're right with the pilot episode um straight away i thought you're going down the same road as discovery in the sense that um dare i use the phrase dark and gritty and yeah. um <laughs> it, it, and and it had that tone to to discovery but of course um Star Trek Picard's got its own identity. And, and I just have to say, and, and very jumping in very quickly, is the fact that um, Picard is the only show um, out of Discovery in Lower Decks, I think, where I've actually rewatched it. Um, I've actually rewatched it three times within the year, every single episode, where Discovery and Lower Decks, I, I actually skip an episode or jump across one or and, and just watch bits so i think it just goes to show that even though it's different it's it's good but that tone is is what i think makes it so so good yeah i, I think that um picard was one of those the way that it was made you can't really skip an episode although no. other um other Star Trek iterations um, and arguably like Deep Space Nine were very serial, became quite serialized. So there was a big uh, overarching plot and storyline that ran all the way through the seasons. So, but, but they were balanced out, but they always had something else going on and each episode was quite self-contained. And so you can, even though something like Deep Space Nine is still is very serialized, you can dip in and out and watch individual episodes because there's something going on in that episode that it's that is its own story, even if you don't necessarily follow along with the broader plot. But Picard is was it was more a mini series. It was like it was like a long movie that was just split into chunks. So you really can, I don't think, from my personal opinion, I don't think it's a, a show that you could dip in and out of and watch a favourite episode because every episode is just a chunk of the big story. And there's not a whole lot that goes on in each episode that's a self-contained story. It's just a continuation of what happened before. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you have to watch it all or not watch any of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, maybe the other people who disagree with me, but I don't think I could dip in and out of it and find an individual episode satisfying in its own right without it being part of the bigger storyline. No, I get that, and and with Discovery, you can even though it's an uh, it, they have their own arcs in the three seasons, you can certainly dip in and out. And Lower Decks, of course, you can. You can yeah. easily do that with Lower Decks. I think while we're talking about the tone and, and, you, and you mentioned the pilot and obviously all 10 episodes, um, it's a much slower show in the sense that our main character, well, in the story, he's 94 years old, but obviously Sir Patrick is in his 70s or 80s now, isn't he? Thank you. Uh, so yeah, 80s. And, and, and they've written the story at a slower pace, although it still has its action and everything going on. But for Picard himself, it is, you know, they're not doing um, put a corset on and a wig and run around pretending to be <laughs> 20 years, 20 years younger. Um, yeah. and, and that's reflected in the story. And I, I like that change of pace as well. Yeah, I think I think the fact that they let him be an old man and let that be part of the story and and have him 
act accordingly. I'm not saying that old, older people or el, el, elderly people rather can't be active. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it, there's a there's a difference between Picard and say something like some of the later Terminator, Indiana Jones, Die Hard movies, where you still have the same actor who started <laughs> off as the action hero like 30 years ago, running about still trying to be the action hero when they are clearly a grandfather at that point. And, it, <laughs> and it, sometimes it can be a bit cringy, whereas I think they they managed to really retain the um the dignity of uh of Picard character and Patrick Stewart in that they let him be at a different stage in his life and he wasn't trying to recreate the character that he had not that Picard was ever particularly action captain he he wasn't like Kirk or Riker he wasn't um you know he wasn't throwing that many punches but uh but I like the fact that you can see the years on him and that they they let it be, you know, 20 years in the future sort of thing. Um, I, In terms of the tone, I was, as I said, even by the end of the pilot, I was a bit concerned as to whether I was going to like it or not, or if, if it was going to be one that I was going to be able to stick with because I know we talk about kind of dark and gritty, but I think there's no bones about it. Picard was pretty violent. I mean, yeah. really quite violent, um, yeah. which I know there's always been fist fights and shoot 'em ups and whatever in Star Trek, but in the most in the more recent iterations, especially Discovery and Picard, they've they've gone into a real um, graphic style of violence where you hear bones snapping and all sorts that just is not my cup of tea and it, it makes me really uncomfortable so I uh, I was a bit worried when I saw how they'd gone down that road but I think as we got past the pilot and it became much more um, plot driven and it became much more about unraveling the mystery of what was going on and what's been happening and all the subterfuge and what's going on with the Romulans and whatever. There were pockets of violence, but it was kind of contained enough and balanced out with the the dialogue and the actually moving the plot forward that I was able to live with it, even if there were a few scenes that I had to watch from between my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's the benefit of being on a, a so like a streaming service, I think you you don't have those sensors that you might have. And, and obviously TV's changed so much, hasn't it? And um, yeah. it's almost it's almost like this, the level of violence we saw within Picard and even Discovery is, is dare I say the word, it's acceptable on TV now, I think. And, yeah. and whether you like it or not, it's, 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 it's sort of the way of things. And, and it's strange because as you were talking about that, I was, I was going to ask you, um, with young Nathan, you know, we're all hoping he'll become a, a big Star Trek fan. But, <laughs> uh, but at what age would you let him watch Picard? Well, I mean, that's that's something that I think we've mentioned before in other shows when we've talked about it, and um, maybe when we were talking about Discovery as well. Is one of the things that I think has always been lovely and really appealing about Star Trek is that it was such a family show that that people got into because they watched it with their parents growing up. And I feel like the new iterations, although they have their place and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're good in a lot of the storytelling and the scripting and everything's really great and the special effects, I, I don't think they're family shows anymore. Even um, to a great extent, Lower Decks, which is animated and whatever, but a lot of it's very adult humor. 
I don't think the the new iterations that we have now, I wouldn't classify them as family shows. I don't think those are something that you could comfortably sit down and watch with your kids until your kids were a lot older, maybe in their teens. And by that point, by that point, you, I don't know if they're kind of too old to start getting into the stuff that their parents like. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's fine. I've got all the previous iterations of Star Trek, which I'll quite <laughs> happily watch. And I mean, Nathan's only two and he loves watching um, TOS. Not that he sits and watches it, but he loves having it on in the background. And he's obsessed with Scotty and will scream <laughs> at the TV, Scotty, Scotty. And I'd never noticed until my little boy got obsessed with Scotty that Scotty's not in it that much. So see, so trying to find scenes that actually have Scotty in them is really <laughs> difficult. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I love that we're able to share that with him. Uh, from such a young age, even even as a toddler, because it's gentle enough, and you know, as long as you pick the right episodes, there's it's not violent, and there's no swearing and all the rest of it. But um, but definitely these I wouldn't be comfortable watching with kids until I think I think these would be twelve to fifteens if you're going to put a category on them. Um, which is which is a shame because I feel like you've missed an element of Star Trek that's always been there, um, which is the family show element, but. Yeah, as you say, these are changed times and a lot of what we would never have been exposed to as children when we were younger is now totally commonplace that you see it on the TV all the time. Um, so, you know, it just it is what it is. But I, I think I think they're just a really different type of show. And that's fair enough because they weren't trying to recreate the old Star Trek. They were they're taking the franchise in a new direction. Um, and it, it has its own merits. Well, at least uh, we have Prodigy for uh, Nathan, isn't it? When it comes out later in the year. Yeah, I'm looking Prodigy. forward to that. And also kind of hopeful that um, Strange New Worlds will be slightly more old school, upbeat, primary colours yeah. <laughs> sort of show, <laughs> uh, which is, is what it seems to have been pegged, like advertised as, or, or they've hinted that it's a wee bit more of that style so hopefully that will be something that we could then you know it would be more of a family show that we could share going forward oh that'd be good so within picard we've mentioned the pilot and and we find a very different jean-luc picard and and he's existing rather than living and and there's a, a lot of baggage he has a lot of baggage yeah he's he's obviously in a very uh difficult place in his life where he's carrying a lot of uh, trauma from what happened um, with regard to the the Romulan relief effort and uh, rescue effort and one of the things that I was concerned about with Picard in terms of the tone was that we would lose the 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 core values that have that were very much a part of Star Trek from the beginning which is this sort of um, you know the needs of the many and uh, nobility and putting uh, others, you know, considering the needs of others and trying to be the best version of yourself and working for the greater good and, and exploration over you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, no disease, no poverty. Um, and I kind of, I kind of wor worried when we saw how gritty it was going to be that we would completely lose that and there basically wouldn't be anything Star Trek about it other than the, the names. But 
I think the great thing about the show was that Picard himself acted as that anchor to those core values all the way through because he was so in such a, a distressed place in his life because he was so um, affronted by how far Starfleet had managed to drift from those core values and that he was still clinging on to those as that we need to be better, we need to do better and um, we can't let politics dictate policy and, and all that sort of stuff. And as we go through the, the show, you see those values start to rub off on the people around him, which is great because he, you know, there's so many um, broken and defeated and traumatized people around him with their own baggage and their own problems. And his, his like hope that the world and the, the universe can still be a, that good place that he believed it to be starts to rub off and then they become a bit more hopeful and they start to bond into this team and I really really like that because every episode I felt it got better and it got closer to being Star Trek as I feel about Star Trek and so I'm kind of hoping that that will carry on more into season two and that's what happened with discovery for me i felt discovery season one was really far removed from all the core star trek values and the way that people were acting i was like how are they how is this the same starfleet that we that we're supposed to know from the other shows but by the end of it they really started turning that corner and then obviously season two it was such a, a shift in tone again more towards the TOS style so I'm hopeful that maybe season two of Picard again will get maybe a, just slightly more of the light-hearted stuff creeping in um, a little bit more recognizable um, you know values and ethics so yeah we'll see how it goes. One of the things I liked was that Picard references uh, Star Trek 2009 with the destruction of Romulus and and the supernova and again they're they're tying tying it all in together to one sort of star trek universe which is good and it was a surprise for me that they they picked up on this plot thread and and then obviously we we learned that the federation abandoned the the um rescue attempts after the, the attack on mars and um, what do you think of that I, I i just thought that was such a curveball i didn't i didn't expect him to run with that really yeah, I mean, I agree. I like the fact that they're tying in all of the different um, movies and everything into the franchise in such a way that you can see where they, they all sit and how the Prime Universe timelines all, all work together. Um, yeah, I, I again, I think it was a total curveball to me to, to see them portray the Federation having fallen so far um, and especially Starfleet having essentially abandoned its morals as far as I can see um but obviously as you get into the story you understand that Starfleet has been infiltrated there's corruption at the highest levels there's been a very insidious uh, influence working its way through and lots of whisperings in the ears going on um Inu McCormick's tie-in novel went a huge way to padding out the, the backstory to that and, and helping as to understand how it got to that point and just all the different things that chipped away and chipped away and chipped away and let it get to the point where they essentially turned their back on an entire race of people and just were like 
tough luck sucks to be you <laughs> um which you know i can completely understand why that just was the last like too much for picard and he just said well i i can't be part of this anymore and and walked away um because it was appalling it was absolutely appalling and i know you don't get this so much through the the tv show but when you read about what happened in the book it was just it was just horrifying the way that they they made the decision to abandon not just to abandon the Romulans but also to put this blanket ban out on synthetic life given their all the previous experiences that we know that they've had of synthetic life because it's come up umpteen times through the through the chronicles of, of uh, Star Trek so for this one albeit very major incident to make them create a, a bias against an entire race of life forms or an entire like category of life forms it just seemed so like xenophobic uh I wasn't I wasn't expecting them to have fallen so far but I suppose it's good I suppose it's good story storytelling to have them start off at this kind of rock bottom place because then the only way is up <laughs> you know and your your heroes your hero gets the gets the chance to try and rectify the the situation and right the wrongs and uh you know, bring hope back to the galaxy so uh it, in the end it made for very good storytelling but honestly the the, the pilot episode shook me i was like oh my god what is this <laughs> this is not star trek this is the these are horrible people doing horrible things um so it's uh yeah it was it was very very different I know one of the things we've always liked about Star Trek is they try and bring real world events in and obviously give it that sci-fi twist to make us stop and think. And, and obviously the writers have said that the three influences for the first season of Picard was, was Brexit, uh, the, uh, Trump's style of politics and isolationism, and, and also uh, the, the world refugee crisis we have, particularly in Syria. And, and you can certainly see those those three elements in and, and and even if you just talk about the three elements straight away that puts a cloud over and and as you say that really reflects it in those first few episodes yeah i mean the certainly the attitude towards refugees that has uh has been highlighted especially over the last few years um with the trump administration uh, but not just in america there's been issues all over uh it was very clear here that they were shining a light on on yeah the attitude towards a people who through no fault of the individuals are having to flee their home and are looking for uh the, the compassion and the generosity of other peoples to to help them and to take them in um, and to so often be met with a well, not my problem sort of attitude is just is just horrifying. But as you say, Star Trek has a long history of highlighting these issues um, in in a way that is you know compatible with a sci-fi sci story. But it it still, yeah, I think I think the thing that Star Trek always did was um, it highlighted the issue, but it showed how the people in the future in Starfleet and whatever could be better than and deal with it in a better way than we currently deal with it whereas in Picard the difference was 
they were dealing with it in just as bad a way as it is dealt with in the real like in the real world and so you didn't have that hopeful tone for the future it was like well it's crap in real life and it's crap in this show <laughs> so yeah. it has a slightly more depressing tone yeah. but as I say like it got it got better towards the the end of the first season I think there was there was a bit more hope that they were heading back towards the Starfleet the the Federation that we had known and loved from previous series I think one of the other uh, story elements that was set up in the pilot and um it goes through the whole story is is the loss of data and and the impact that's had on on Picard as well um, and I see that the writers always felt that uh, data's ending was premature in in Nemesis and and it wasn't handled right and and here we see that um, it's it's almost um, PSD isn't it PST sorry um, PTSD PTSD I'll say that again so hang on it was almost was it P PTSD. Why can't I get that in my head? Four little <laughs> words. There you go. Try that again. Yeah, it was almost PTSD in, in some ways, wasn't it, for, for <laughs> Picard? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the the death of Data was something that was traumatic for all of us, um, but, <laughs> definite, but certainly traumatic for uh, for Picard and the other, his other friends and crewmates on the, the Enterprise. And it wasn't something that was ever... Um, particularly dealt with thereafter so much I mean even in the, the books um obviously the, the books that we had are not canon anymore yeah. <laughs> uh, so you you know we had a whole time like whole timeline in the books where data kind of is resurrected and comes back and has a different body and blah 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 but now we don't have that so you basically jump straight from he dies at the end of nemesis to card and we are suddenly finding out that uh, data has a human brother which it's very much a star trek trope that like unknown siblings just come yeah. out of the woodwork whenever they need yeah. one isn't it like yeah. like we didn't know spock had a, a brother then we didn't know spock had a sister then we didn't know data had a brother so um so they've created this brother this human brother um alton inigo soon yeah. soon uh who was a biological child of nunian soon um, and we don't know if it was Nunin and Juliana O'Donnell or if it was a different mother, whatever, it probably doesn't matter, but maybe we'll find out because I think he's coming back for the second season. Um, but uh, that he has gone on to continue his father's work and now suddenly Data goes from being, if not one of a kind, because obviously we, we've met Lauren, we've met before, but one of a kind in that he was, uh, you know, a functional, like, capable android who wasn't a psycho or a um you know very basic prototype and uh, and suddenly we have this whole race of soon type androids just as um as you advanced as data and many of them much much more advanced than data because they can pass off as humans completely and utterly pass off as humans uh, and and suddenly there's loads of them and he's got this whole family I'm assuming they would all classify as nieces and nephews if they were yeah. created by his brother I would assume this whole new generation yeah. of, of androids um and then we get this big revelation that data is still alive in as such as it is in that his consciousness and everything that made him him is still running not in an android body 
which they don't really explain why no. they don't put him back into an android body but um but running on this computer uh, and we get to see him again and, and there's then the extremely moving and heartbreaking scene where Picard and Data meet in this um in between virtual existence and have this lovely conversation where they show great affection for each other and and the relationship that they they both had when they worked together um and and kind of philosophize on death life and death and the meaning of life and what it is to truly be human and uh, and data asks to be turned off because ultimately the only way that he will fulfill his desire his ultimate desire to be human and be mortal is if he's allowed to die and have a limited existence and so and it's all set to this beautiful soundtrack which harks back to him singing it at uh, Riker and Troy's wedding um, where, they, where they do this beautiful reprise of, of Blue Skies and um, very slow uh, bluesy uh, kind of version that's sung by um, and I'm not sure how I'm going to pronounce this, Isa Briones, yeah. um, who plays Daj and Soji and a few of the other Android models, uh, uh, because she was in Hamilton, and so she's a, a capable singer, and uh, she did this beautiful version, and I cried so hard <laughs> that episode. I've since seen that episode again, and I thought, I'll be okay this time because I know what's happening. I still ended up bawling like a baby. <laughs> Um, how were you when you watched that? Did you, was it? Did it tug at your heart? Oh yeah. Too? Oh no, I, I was a wreck. And and also uh, uh, Picard's death scene. Um, that 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 certainly pulled a lot of strings because you never, you know, I remember when Kirk died and and it was upsetting, but I felt a lot more for Picard's death in thirty commas. And um, it is almost like, oh, you know, um, am I going to be like this? in the future, you know, if anything were to happen to Sir Patrick, you know, I was a oh. wreck watching it on the TV and you imagine what it'd be like in real life. And it's just like, but you know, both scenes really just wrecked me and all in one episode as well. So it was just like tears after tears. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was extremely emotional, but I also think wonderfully poignant and a really, the, the end, the death for Data in, Nemesis was fine because if you're gonna lose a character like Data, it needs to be, you know, this wonderfully heroic noble act where he's sacrificing himself for the sake of his friends and he gets that much closer to being human because he reacted in this very emotional instinct of wanting to protect others and, and do the right thing and all that sort of stuff. That was fine. I never had a major problem with it because I I thought it was it was done fine within the context of that movie, but I was always just really, really sad that it was sort of so sudden and there was no, uh, you know, there, there wasn't a kind of a goodbye or, you know, even with Tasha Yar, you got the lovely like memorial service afterwards where the hologram speaks and whatever. And with Data, it was just like, oh, he's dead, he's gone, sad. Yeah. And then it was the end of the movie. Yeah. Whereas this gave us a really poignant, really, heartfelt send-off and I know Brent Spiner had had stated that he didn't want to come and do Picard if they were going to undo the death of Data because he felt that that would have made Data's death in 
nemesis kind of meaningless. And I think they managed to find a really good balance between having data back for a little bit, but not not affecting the nemesis storyline, but also just giving him a better send off. Where yeah. whereas a fan, you kind of have a much more um, cathartic opportunity to have a good blub and say goodbye to the yeah. character once and for all. Um, and I know that like we'll still get elements of data in that he will, uh, Brent Spiner will still be appearing as his brother um, Alton soon. So. Uh, so that'll be nice because I think apart from anything else, he's Brent Spiner's so much older now that the data makeup is really, really awkward on him. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm liking the fact that we'll be able to get a bit of Brent Spiner, but he'll just look like Brent Spiner. We don't, yeah. we don't have to deal with like the horrifyingly smoothing out bulky prosthetics that they put on his face to try and make him look like an android. <laughs> no, but there's so many elements within this first season. Um, of of the ongoing story arc in the in the ten episodes and and I think ten's a good number. It didn't feel dragged out in in any of the episodes, and it had a good pacing. Yeah, it did, and I think I think one of the great things about the show was that there was so much going on, but there wasn't too much going on. Yeah. So I feel like sometimes with with shows, especially kind of mini series esque shows like this they just throw so much at it that it can be it can feel really confused and you don't it becomes more difficult to follow whereas although Picard had lots of different strands and lots of different um like subplots and bringing in history and trying to explain what's happened in the interim it always flowed really well and it was paced really well so each episode you got the next chunk of the story but you could you could still follow what was happening um because I mean we haven't even touched on the Romulan storylines or the Borg storylines, uh, which were such an integral part, with, or or the the like building of his new crew um, with Rafi and uh, Rios and uh, Gerati and Elmer. So it it's, um, there was just there was a lot going on, and you could, we could probably talk about it for like three episodes of <laughs> the Captain's Table and still have stuff to chat about. So I'm trying to. I'm trying to, to keep it a wee bit more condensed today, but uh, but what what were some of your favourite elements of the show? Because as I said, like there was a lot of different plot strands. So did you have like a favourite plot plot strand that ran through it? I I actually think the the Romulan part because I've always liked the Romulans, and uh, I think here we actually get a lot more storytelling about the Romulans. Um, we get to understand them a lot more. Um, Absolute Candor is 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 one of my favourite episodes of the of, of yeah. the series. Um, it, it's just such a, a good episode, and I think we get more of that. Um, you mentioned the Borg, and I was slightly worried that the Borg were going to be there because I, you know I think you you know that I've been a big one of saying that the Borg have been overused so much, whether it be on the screen or, or certainly through Voyager's time and certainly in the novels uh, uh, up to an extent. So I was a bit thinking, oh, here we go again. But the Borg were handled perfectly as well, especially um, Picard dealing with, with his, um, again, post-traumatic stress um, of, of what happened to him, you know, continuing from first contact. But certainly the Romulan element was was really, really good. And, and again, it was a different type of Star Trek because apart from the Bajoran problem with refugees that we saw in the in um, Ensign Row, 
um, when we were first introduced to the Bajorans, we didn't really see much of a, a sort of refugee crisis and everything that was going on. And, and I just really liked how it, how it brought it all out to the front. Yeah, I, I agree. I like the fact, I think the Romulan um, subplot was one of my favorites as well, just because there was, there was like subplots within subplots because we had yeah. the Romulan uh, refugee crisis, obviously everything that had gone on with the supernova. You also have, um, where the, there's a like a, a thread that runs through about the Coat Malats, which yeah. we had never heard of before. That yeah. was a whole new thing. And again, excellently explained in the Una McCormick tie-in novel. Um, and then you've also got, and I cannot remember the name of it right now, but the ones that predate the uh, Tal Shiar, the ones- Zadvash, Zadvash. That, that's it, the Zadvash, sorry. That the, these uh, kind of um, completely obsessed, xenophobic, anti-synthetic life, um, like black ops team <laughs> who are, who are, are have managed to infiltrate Starfleet and other organizations and and are like spreading this kind of toxic influence through the galaxy and um, trying to wipe out all synthetic life because they've been all driven nuts by this uh, this message from beyond um, about this race of malicious uh, synthetic life forms that want to destroy all organics, um, which fair enough, uh, that's scary and they are scary when we get a little glimpse of them but um but equally yeah it's 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 amazing to see that there's like so many substrata to the Romulan story that we already knew about we knew that they were secretive and we knew that there was a lot of different uh you know uh, factions within the government and the Tal Shiar and one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing <laughs> sort of thing but it just took it to a whole other level that there's these other like different subgroups who have very very specific remits around um around specific things so it was it was really interesting i think that um having the admiral uh, admiral o uh, in place quite early on and and also um then all the the storyline with narek narek was really good i enjoyed him i thought the interplay between him and his sister was really creepy and i know i'm not <laughs> the only one who felt that yeah yeah, there was certainly some uh, ancestral overtones, shall we say? Yeah, it was, yeah, there was a lot of ancestral overtones going on, and it just, yeah, that was. I don't know that that was wholly necessary for playing yeah. it that way, but whatever. Uh, but he was very good. I like, I like the actor yeah. who played Narek, and I like the fact that you could see that he was clearly torn because he did develop feelings for Soji, but he also has this sort of deep-seated yeah. distrust and, and homicidal tendencies towards synthetic. So yeah. he was he was a nicely complex character. Um, so yeah, I thought that the um, the the Romulan plotline and I did I love Elnor. Oh, Elnor yeah. is so lovely. I just want to give him a yeah. couple. <laughs> He's so nice. Um, he he just he just reminds me of Lord of the Rings because I think he looks like an elf <laughs> from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, the way that they did the makeup. He's very um, much more elven than any of the Romulans that we've yeah. seen go before him, probably just because of the long, the tied back long hair exposing the ears. But he, he was great. And I think I'm really looking forward to seeing how his character develops in season two. Um, and especially the kind of 
almost father-son relationship that he's got with Picard um, because he's got a real innocence about him for all that he's a trained assassin who can, you know, you know, choose to live, <laughs> he'll take you down <laughs> yeah. at 10 paces sort of thing. Yeah. But um, but he, he's also still very childlike. He's very, yeah. he's got a real childlike innocence about him um, that he's been very, you know, he grew up with the um, Kuat Milaj, uh, sorry, Kuat Malat, and he has got not really been exposed to the rest of the galaxy. And so he's got this kind of wide-eyed wonder about a lot of the stuff that they come across. So I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. And he's so perceptive because in, in the episode um, Stardust City, when they're where all assuming characters to go down and um, try and free Bruce Maddox and he turns around and, and he's just so perceptive that he says that everybody's hiding within themselves and mm-hmm. um, and, and then on, on the planet when everything goes wrong and he just turns around and says, oh, we're not pretending anymore then. And it's just, <laughs> just a perfect one line. And again, because he has that innocence, it works. Yeah, it's almost a sort of out of the mouth of babe sort yeah. of moment when when he says stuff like that. Yeah, and it does it just it does work because it it comes across so um, so genuine. You know, he's not being sarcastic; he's being genuinely like, "Oh, this is what's happening now." Yeah. Okay, roll with the punches, sort of thing. Um, yeah, he he is a real sweetie. I'm I'm looking forward to that. But I have to say, I think one of my favorite characters that was introduced in this um, this series was um, Cristobal Rios. Rios. Uh, he is just brilliant. I was already a huge Santiago Cabrera fan because um, my husband and I are a big fan of the BBC making of The Musketeers, which I don't know if you've ever watched it, no, but he plays Aramis and he's brilliant. He's so good in that. So when we saw that he'd been cast in this, we already knew what a great actor he was, but I love that they worked in all these different hologram versions of him that all have different (laughs) attitudes and personalities and accents, because it was just so funny watching, like so, so much fun watching him like stretch his acting ability to play all these different versions of himself with all these different accents. And sometimes it was just hilarious. Uh, especially like the Irish one and yeah. <laughs> the American one. <laughs> They're so good. I love it. Um, and he's so, so sort of damaged and um, and brooding. But as you say, towards the end of it, he starts to come, come out of himself as well and find a little bit of that hope that he'd been missing. They're all healing each other, really. I think that once they get together, they're, they're all helping each other grow I think and and, and get through all these and uh, I really like that and Rios is a great character and as you say must be an actor's dream to play so many different roles yeah <laughs> within one series I, my favorite well one of my favorite characters I'd say Raffi she she's just and I think the book helped though I, I have to admit the the book by Una really helped bring her um, rounded off her character and I think I appreciated her more um, the second time I watched the series after reading the book if that makes sense. Yeah I think the book helped to pad out the characters so much especially characters like Rafi who were there through the whole Romulan debacle and you can understand when I first and when they first introduced Rafi in the TV series I wasn't sure about her because of, you know, she's so kind of down and out. She's got real substance abuse problems. Um, and uh, 
and she just had this sort of like bugger off sort of attitude yeah. about her and I wasn't I wasn't wholly sure I was going to warm to her but after reading the book and understanding how much she sacrificed to follow Picard on this mission of trying to save these Romulan people and that she was absolutely doing what she felt was right and they were on this crusade and it was hard and it kept getting extended and it was keeping her her away from her husband and from her child and it was awful but she she was doing it because she knew that it was the right thing to do and that somebody had to do it and that this was ultimately going to benefit an entire race of people so when it all went to, to hell and they stopped they just, you know, Starfleet and the Federation just threw their hands up and said, oh, well, we're not doing this anymore. Right, pack up guys and go home. And it was all for nothing. You can totally understand why that just sent her into spiral because she had just like shredded her whole life on the basis that it was for the greater good. And then that greater good was swept away. And so she just shredded her whole life for nothing. Um, and, and then Picard walked away as well. And so she was left with no family no career no purpose and she's just got into such a dark place and I think again through the series you start to see her begin to find her or not not begin to find her way out but be begin to be supported by these other people to find her way out of this hole that she dug herself into so um, and obviously by the very last episode they are very strongly hinting that she has is beginning some sort of relationship with 709 um which was a bit out of left field but oh, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not complaining it was it's nice they were kind of all pairing off towards the end you know Rios yeah. and Gerati and uh Seven and Rafi so yeah and 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 speaking of Seven obviously um at, at the end of Stardust City um Seven save saves uh helps saves them from this Romulan warbird by um and she jumped, she arrives on the ship and, and collapses and it's just such a surprise well we knew she was going to be in it but for, but for Picard and, and everyone else it was a surprise and it was a great introduction and I love this version of Seven so much more than than Voyager I think. Yeah I think I think the change in Seven was probably the most drastic change because Picard is older but he's still for the most part the Picard that we knew um you know, Data was still Data, Riker was still Riker, Troy was still Troy, but Seven, obviously it's been whatever, 20 years or something, you knew that there's been a whole load of stuff that's happened to her in that interim since they made it, since Voyager made it back to, to Earth from the Delta Quadrant, but because we haven't been privy to any of that, it was really, it's difficult to see what took her from being that uh, ex-Borg, uh, barely in touch with her emotions, very almost Vulcan-like kind of logic and stoicism, um, very proper, very, you know, poker straight uh, posture and everything, to being this incredibly human, incredibly, uh, you know, big attitude, heavy drinking, gun-toting version of herself. <laughs> It was such a transformation, and I didn't, I didn't dislike it. I think she's um, Jerry Ryan played it well, and I think 
for the purposes of this kind of ragtag team, old seven wouldn't have fit in, whereas new seven does. But I'd love to know more about how she transitioned from right. one to the other, because the story that took her from where she was to where she is now must be a, a good one. <laughs> There's definitely a novel there, isn't there? Or, oh, or, 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 or two or three, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, uh, she, she fitted in so well. And again, another another really poignant moment was was again in the episode Stardust City. And I think what's really good about each episode, they they, they obviously it's the ongoing story and there's great character development, but there's these little moments for me which really stood out. And again, at the end when um, Picard is about to beam Seven down uh, back to Stardust City and, and um, she asks him the question about, you know is he still looking for his humanity and, and he says yes and uh, I think that was just really really emotive and I, I think that's good because they had that in common and there was that bond in there and and Picard and and Seven being together actually made a lot more sense here because obviously in Nemesis they were trying to get Seven to join they were they were trying to do a storyline where Seven joins the Enterprise crew for Nemesis and thank goodness it didn't happen because they were trying to shoehorn it in but here it works perfectly. Yeah, and I think I think it was probably right that Picard and Simon don't really uh, properly cross paths until now because I think I think earlier in, in his life and especially I mean we really see it um, around uh, first contact, which I actually watched the other day, so um, good refresher. Uh, is that he's still really, even though it's been years, he's still really struggling with the Borg assimilation and his time as Locutus and he's still got a lot of healing to do and I think any kind of meeting or trying to work with Seven earlier in his life would have still been too traumatic for him I don't think that he he the relationship could have built up because she would have been too much of a reminder of that past trauma whereas now he's got so much distance so much more distance and he has encountered you know, all these countless other traumas, the loss of his ship, the loss of data, um, the all the stuff that happened with uh, insurrection, where you start to see like the real high level corruption going on in Starfleet with the Admiral. And, and I think he's got to the point now where probably uh, he can he can see his time with the Borg and look back on it slightly more dispassionately and be able to work with her on the basis that she's another victim and not just a reminder of what's happened to him. So I think the one thing about the, the Borg plotline in Picard for me that the way it was done was fine, but I I think that's the one the one area of the books that they really could have done something with and really could have it, it that's the thing that makes me most sad that they've wiped out from the, the book plot lines yeah. is the Borg storyline that that concludes with um the Destiny trilogy because I think that was so wonderfully done and not just the trilogy but all the books that ran up to it, explaining the origin of the Borg giving it a a context, giving it a resolution, finally bringing it to a conclusion, letting everybody get that cathartic moment where 
it, the threat is finally neutralized, but not with violence, but with salvation and all the, you know, the the stuff that comes out of that in terms of of the people who have been who have been assimilated and now have their individuality back and and the washing away of of all the tech in their bodies and all the rest of it and that that was just so perfect it was so so perfect so to go back to still having the Borg out there and Borg having like ex the ex-Borg having to be like dismantled part by part and live with these horrific scars and disabilities that were you know put in place from by being assimilated and still living with all that trauma it's just it just felt really really sad that that we lost that whole storyline um out of all the all the other plot lines that we lost and that were kind of reset by card from the books i think that's the one that makes me really sad that they didn't carry that that through and for anybody who's not read those books it won't make any difference <laughs> they will be quite <laughs> probably quite happy with it and the borg weren't like too overused in this they were just kind of there in the background but um but as an avid fan of the books i'm really really sad that we lost the destiny storyline from the borg i don't know how you feel about that michael no again as you know i i, I felt the borg were overused at certain points um and, and the book series for me at that point was a nice resolution and, and I liked how they did it. But here, I, I think a couple of things I liked is, is the introduction of Hugh. I thought that was uh, wonderful. And, and the reunion between the two uh, was amazing, Picard and Hugh. But I think what stood out for me is that in here, Picard starts to realize that the Borg are victims because there's a couple of things that obviously his crew saved him in the best of both worlds. Um, they they got him back from the the ball cube, and and because he hadn't been assimilated too much, they were able to remove everything, and he recovered. And then you go to first contact, and 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 Picard is obsessed, and and it is Captain Ahab, as we know. And um, Ensign Lynch comes to mind when when he shoots Ensign Lynch, and. It, it's like Picard was lucky because people fought for him. No one fought for Ensign Lynch, if that makes sense. Yeah, and well, certainly Picard didn't yeah. fight for me. No, no, <laughs> exactly. So it's not until it's not until we get to this particular episode of, of Picard that you start to. I think it finally sinks in that every all the Borg are victims mm -hmm. because they've all been assimilated. Yes, there's a, there's the Queen, so to speak, that starts it all off, but. Um, at under the, underneath all, all the wires and, and everything else that there there are there are beings that are, that are you know weren't as fortunate as Picard. So yeah. so I like that part of it. And I know we are going to have some Borg. Apparently we're going to have some Borg aspects in the second season. But again, I hope it's not too much. Yeah. Because I think this was this was done quite well. It wasn't overwhelming. Yeah, we're not going to end up with hopefully another like Wolf three five nine or Battle Sector zero zero one or anything like that yeah. because it's. We've, we've done those um yeah. we've, we've done those and that's why the destiny storyline was really good because it took everything that had gone before and had been really overused and very contradictory as well there was a lot of contradictory stuff about the borg and how they assimilated people and how they adapted to things and how they um like what their motives were and all the rest of it uh how easy they were to destroy <laughs> like an entire fleet of starfleet ships couldn't get one cube down but somehow voyager kept navigating entire fleets of the buggers anyway um 
but yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd like to see a return to another big like Borg attack storyline because we've like we've been there. Like there's so many other other um races out there that we had that they've mentioned for decades and never really done anything with. I mean, like, come on, let's have a storyline about the Zinkefi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, let's let's get the, like have a, a plot more plot lines about the Gorn or the the Tholians or any of these characters like these these races that they've never really expanded on or given as much information about um, outside some of the books. So, uh, yeah, like, like you don't need to keep going back to the same villain all the time. No, it's true. And and how did you feel about um, seeing uh, Riker and Troy in the episode? Uh, oh. in the series sorry that was amazing i i was i was totally totally thrilled about it right up until the point where i found out that they had a son who died because as a mother of a son that that was just really like i felt my whole like soul sink when they were t talking about the loss of their child that was such a sad storyline um and again especially because like in the other storylines from the books we know that they are still working together on the Titan and they've got Natasha and it's been a whole different life for them so it was diff it was difficult to separate out those two different lives that they've led um from the different types of storylines but I loved seeing them and um, I always think they just work really well together you know uh, Marina Sirtis and Jonathan Frakes have got such a a wonderful rapport you totally buy them as a married couple yeah. um, they they were totally believable as parents as well. I liked, I liked the fact that he was just like out in his garden making pizza. Yeah. Um, but the I think my favorite bit was when he um he like appears with the cavalry at the end, yeah. going toe to toe with the Romulans um in his you know back in uniform and his captain's pips. So that that was a good moment. Um, yeah. And I just, I just love Jonathan Frakes. I think Riker's such a good character. So I'd be totally up for seeing more of him. Um, obviously, we've seen him in Lower Decks as well. Yeah. So I'd be totally up for seeing more of him in season two. I'd really love to see Worf in season two um, because I think uh, he's, Worf has just managed to transition through so many different um, Star Trek, <laughs> Star Trek uh, moments. So it would be lovely to see where he is now. Uh, well, he's the captain of the Enterprise, so it would be good to see him on the Enterprise, so. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to see him um, and find out more about, like, what's been going on with him and uh, and see Captain Worf. We were yeah. we were promised a Captain Worf show yeah. at some point. I still want the Captain Worf show. <laughs> so th this might be the closest we get to it, then, seeing him on, on Picard. Yeah, seeing him on Picard. <laughs> it, it will be good to see the Enterprise-E again. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at the E the other day when I was watching um, First Contact and I was like, Do you know, it's nice, but it's just not the D. <laughs> <laughs> Fee really, like, really likes the Sovereign class ships, but I just can't. Yeah, I, do. I don't know. I, the bridge doesn't do it for me. I think you need that command well. Uh, I, was, I was having this argument with him the other day and he was like, well, you've got all these different stations all posted around it. I was like, yeah, but even Voyager had a railing that, that yeah. like delineated where the command well was. I'm not saying they need to have the big horseshoe like on the D, but even Voyager had a railing that was just like, these are the command seats. But in the E, they're just kind of floating there in the middle of the floor and nothing really <laughs> says this is the center of the bridge. It's just like somebody just three chair anyway there's a total aside about the design <laughs> of the sovereign class ship but 
Um, but yeah, we'll maybe see it again. Maybe it's been retrofitted by this point. Maybe it's oh, yeah. uh, maybe it's different. Maybe it's like the um, it's like the Enterprise E refit or something. Yeah, that'll be good to see. <laughs> so one of one of the things that the story ends on uh, this the season ends on is uh, as I mentioned the death of Picard. But this this Gollum body he he's given, which was meant for um, Sung, um, but Picard has it. Um, how did you feel about that? Well, I'm glad they didn't kill Picard completely. I always think that when you have a plot line like that, it's always a bit, um, and with a single bound, they were free. <laughs> yeah. moment. Uh, it's not quite Deus Ex Machina, but it, it was just like, and he's dead. Except he's not really dead because we just happen to have this incredibly advanced, almost indistinguishable from a human body, android body that we're going to put his consciousness into. And so it's like he died, but he didn't really die. Uh, so there was a part of me that was a bit like, oh, really? Um, I would maybe find it more believable if like the androids had been, you know, their their brain and everything is so advanced that they kind of got all their processing power together and worked out a way to do some sort of really fab neurosurgery on him that cured the problem with his parietal lobe. You know, I, I maybe would have found that slightly more believable in the context of, of you know, just, I don't know, what would have made slightly more sense to me. But they went down the road of, we're going to transfer your consciousness into a synthetic body and that's fine they've made it indistinguishable from his human yeah. body they made it very clear he doesn't have any sort of enhanced abilities or strength or whatever and he'll still live out a normal lifetime so basically they just hit a big reset button and it it right. doesn't make any difference he's just picard again so that's it's yeah. fine it, it was it, it solved the problem of him dying uh, and being very sick but i don't know if maybe a medical solution would have been slightly less yeah. like oh okay <laughs> yeah. but that's it's just me that's entirely personal taste i don't know how you felt about it no pretty much the same I, I, i'm glad that um they made it clear that um there's no sort of superpowers so to speak or, or anything like that um and it's just like a, a normal body um so th that made sense but yes it was all very convenient wasn't it it was, it, it, it was all very convenient, mm -hmm. but but it fitted, and 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 Picard had his 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 death scene that all all great actors like. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, again, it was very emotional, and 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 the aftermath when everyone thought he was dead um, as well, especially Elnor. Yeah, I was. I, I did kind of wonder about that because they they went through all these scenes of, of people grieving the loss of Picard. And then in the very next scene, they completely undid it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, yeah. one, if you if you knew you're gonna put him into the synthetic body and he's not really dead, as in like dead, dead, forever dead, then why bother putting people through the grief, like letting them go through the grieving process? Uh, I don't know. Makes good TV. <laughs> it does make good TV. And I did like the way that Elnor, um, you know, he sits down in his sort of very stoic uh, demeanor just completely crumbles and then he just becomes like this little boy crying. And I can't remember whose shoulder he's crying. Is it Raffi? Raffi's shoulder he's crying into and he just crumbles and she just puts this motherly arm around him and 
and Pat kind of rubs his back and just says, you know, let it all out. And he just weeps. And it was very emotional. But like, like I said, like, it was incredibly emotional. It was very, very moving. And then immediately it was all undone because he was fine. <laughs> he's fine. And he's still here and he's going to live for like 10 to 20 more years. <laughs> so in like in perfect health. So there you go. Yeah. Like, oh, sad, but not so sad. Yeah. I, I, w one of the things I did like about the way it ended was the fact that it, it was almost a closed ending. There was no uh, cliffhanger. There, there was nothing um, in case it wasn't renewed or anything happened. And, and um, it, it was a self-contained story. But I like the fact that it, it left a lot more hope than, it, than what the series began with, as, as we mentioned as well. You know, obviously the Federation is looking at itself. Uh, Starfleet's looking at itself. Picard has got this renewed life and energy that, that he'd been missing for 20 years. And, uh, you know, the, off the crew go. And um, I thought that was quite good. Yeah, it, it, like you say, it was very self-contained. And if they'd only made one season, it, it could stand alone as a, as a, a mini-series, you know, as a 10-episode yeah. mini-series quite happily. I am glad they're getting a second season because I think there's so much more they could do with it. Um, and actually, in terms of that, what we, what are you hoping to see in season two? And I know that there's been some uh, uh, revelations about who or what's going to be included. But in terms of like plot line, what would you like to see Picard doing? I think there's still unfinished business with the with the Romulan situation. I I, I think. I, I think that needs to, I think he needs to deal with that. I, I, I think um, though he's been able to, to work out his emotions over data and sort of close that door, I think he still has, has all, all these regrets over how it was handled. So I, I'm sure, or hopefully we'll see some of that. Um, I, I think um, for Agnes, we need, we need to see the consequences of her killing Bruce Maddox, mm -hmm. um, even though you know, she can say she was. She, it was Commodore O who who implanted um, the mind control, or if yeah. she can use mind control. But um, <laughs> there, there's those sort of aspects, and and uh, I think a lot more character development. Like Seven, hopefully we might see a, a little bit of what we spoke about. Why Seven is Seven at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly that, and, and as we say, you know, we we we've in in the very brief trailer we had. It's only a minute long. And, it, and it's more of a narration. Um, then they're talking about time a lot, so it looks like we might get time travel. And then, of course, Q. Q is returning. Yay! To cause some chaos. I love John Delancey. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm looking. Phoebe and I were talking about this the other day, and we were saying, obviously, John Delancey has aged a lot as well. And you know, Q being a Q, they probably I don't, I don't think they, they don't really age the way we do. They're like immortal, and so. There's got to be some sort of comment about the fact that he appears visibly aged as well. And I can just imagine the sort of comments that he's going to make to Picard about like, oh, well, I didn't want you to feel bad because you're old and decrepit now. So I thought <laughs> I'd better age myself up a bit sort of thing. And, uh, you know, in the, the way, the like the quippy way that Q does. Um, but no, I'm looking forward to that. I think the fact that the, in the Q teaser, they use the line um, from Farpoint uh, and uh, can't remember. All good things. All good things, whatever about the, um, the trial never ends. 
I'm kind of hoping that in season two, Picard and his crew are going to try and continue to right some of the wrongs that have happened to get Starfleet and the Federation to the state that they're in. And so they'll be working towards trying to, to drag the galaxy back to where it was and reinstill those values and get good people and weed out corruption and um, you know, get good people back in, in power so that they can rectify the situation and 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 you know get get it back on track, kind of right right the ship, so to speak, because um because I think that would tie in quite well with this idea of Q coming and saying, you know, well you're talking about how you're such a noble race and look at what's happened and turned your back on the Romulan people and all this corruption and xenophobia and all the rest of it, and that Picard will be kind of on a crusade to try and undo all of that and get like put the Federation and the and Starfleet back up on that pedestal that they used to be on. Um, so I, that's what I would like to see from season two. Um, and I don't know if, you know, they've mentioned maybe kind of hinted at time travel and I don't know if that maybe tie into it and maybe trying to go back and stop the attack on Mars that put everything that set everything into motion, possibly, um, which would be quite nice because apart from anything else, if we don't have the attack on Mars, you don't have the ban on synths, and then Riker and Troy's kid doesn't die, and I can go back to sleeping at night <laughs> and not having to think about dead children um, in fictional TV Aww. series. So um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's just so many different ways that they could go and. I didn't see any of the of season one coming, so they could go off on a complete like tangent and do something totally different for season two. But that's that's what I would like to see in broad strokes. Yeah, there's so much, and again, with with Q being on board, they they have to be careful that it doesn't um, take over everything because Q is such a character that can easily do that. Yeah, I think I think Q is always more impactful when he just pops in. Yeah. kind of stirs the pot and then pops back out again so I don't know if even they would maybe have him pop in for like the first episode the last episode and maybe make an appearance, appearance somewhere in the middle but just be like you know five minutes here and there and then not be in the rest of it so he just yeah. kind of comes and gives them a poke and then they go off and do what they're doing and then he comes at the end and he's like ah very good Picard you have yeah, I'll let you off this time sort of thing and then <laughs> yeah. book her off back to the continuum. So. <laughs> oh, so much to look forward to. I know. I know. I am looking forward to John Delance. I love him in, in lots of things. I'm doing a um a West Ring rewatch at the moment and he's been in a few episodes as well. So Oh, in season one, the pollster. Yeah, he's the pollster. And he's also um he's a he's in um uh, Stargate a few times, Stargate SG-1 as well. So I, I like him in everything <laughs> he does. He's always good. <laughs> no, he is good. So I, I think, you know, I think we're both in agreement. Overall, season one of Picard was 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 solid. And, and though it was different, it, it, it was good, you know, it was good storytelling. And, and in the end, it, well, not in the end, it, it was Star Trek, just a little different. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think in my head, just for my own comfort, I've kind of taken... The new shows since Discovery, so Discovery, Picard, and Lower Tech Decks, and I've kind of sectioned them off in my head from everything that went before. So I've got like Star Trek, 
and then Star Trek The New Era. <laughs> it kind of makes me feel better to sign a section them off and say, this is Star Trek, but it's Star Trek The New Era. And it doesn't really bear any resemblance to Star Trek of the old era, but it's, you know, that's the way they're doing it now and that's fine. But I'm, I'm keeping my, the old Star Trek in its own little bubble for my own um, <laughs> personal happiness because I, uh, I prefer that style. But I do think Picard was a solid show. It had some really great moments. It had some really solid scripting. Obviously the acting was excellent. The special effects were superb. Yeah. Um, I could, if I was going to change anything, I would have just had slightly more like light-hearted moments to balance out all the grim and I would have just toned the violence down a few notches but other than that I think it was a really good show uh, and I'm looking forward to season two I'm looking forward to season two yeah me too and um one of our next off the record shows was we're, we're going to be talking about the third season of Discovery yes Looking forward to that because um, there's a lot to unpack there. There was a lot happened in season three. So that should be good. Um, but for now, if you haven't watched Picard, sorry for the spoilers, go and check it out. <laughs> it's definitely worth watching and um, it's definitely worth a rewatch as, as Roz and I have both done. But thanks for listening. And um, as we normally say on the show, don't forget to turn the page for our next adventure.